0: Good morning. Welcome to 2020. How many of you really thought you would live that long to see 2020? I I was telling the earlier service when I was in high school, which was back before the earth's crust hardened, um, that in 1971 or 72, when we'd look and see as high school students those years out there, like 2000, and then maybe somebody would see something in 2020. You'd think Man, if I ever lived to be that long, I'm going to be as old as dirt. How, how, how could we, how could I ever make it to that? Well, here we are, and we don't look too bad, you know, to make it up to 2:20. You look, look good. You look good this morning. Great to see you. Great to see you. All right, now, how many of you have gotten a hold of one of these books, Draw the Circle? Now, raise your hand. Okay, To the rest of you who were here last Sunday and heard about this and hadn't gotten your book yet, shame be upon you. You know, we, we don't recommend books outside of the Word of God uh, that often at all. But there's been a sense the Lord working in my heart, and I can't say that I, I hear the Lord audibly, but, but as you have experienced, I'm sure, many times in your life, there can just be a sense that he's, he's putting something in your heart. He's impressing you with something. Sometimes it's a verse of Scripture. Sometimes it's just a line. He doesn't make it very long for me. I, I, I'm not, uh, some get paragraphs and books. I, I may just have a sense. But this was it for this year. Call my people to prayer. Call my people to prayer. We talked some about that last week. We're starting a brand new decade. It's not just a brand new year, this is a brand new decade. Within the last 48 hours or so, we've had. A major international event that directly affects our country, our military, that could directly affect some of our Alamo City family that have roots here but are, have military assignments in different places around the world with the, the killing of the Iranian general uh, on the one hand with all that is about to take place again, continue on in Washington with the impeachment trial and so forth that's going on. We. This is not the time for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to go to sleep. This is the time for us to be who we are and do what we have been given the calling to do upon our lives, and that is to pray, to talk to our Father, and to to open our hearts up before Him with the things that worry us, as well as the things that we would love to see happen that would bless us, that would thrill us. All of the above, we, we have the opportunity to do. And so we continue this morning with along that line of a call to prayer. And the idea has been that we would use this this little book by Pastor Mark Batterson, written a few years ago, called Draw the Circle. It's the excerpts from another book that he had written uh, called The Circle Maker, which was a New York Times bestseller and has been used uh, widely around the world, particularly here in the States, just as an encouragement. For the people of God to pray, My plan is what I, my encouragement to you would be that you you get a copy of this book. Somebody told me this morning they got a wad of them uh, on Amazon, Amazon Prime for like two dollars and fifty cents, all the way up to maybe eight bucks. It's been around a while, paperback. It's not gonna, you know, it won't break you to buy one. But we're not going to be providing these uh, for the church. We're not going to have a stack of books to give out freely. You need to have some skin in this game. If, um, if you're going to take seriously this this matter of being called to the place of prayer and responding to that, if you'll get a copy and you can go online, Amazon Prime, uh, eBay, the other, other resources that are out there and just draw the circle, Mark Patterson, you can get them easily. My encouragement is that you start reading, and it's broken out into 40-day readings. It's, uh, all, each of those are short, long, my... I wanted to just see what was in the book when our daughter Abby encouraged us to do this a year ago as a family. So I read it straight through. I didn't try to do it a day-by-day thing, just read it straight through. I encourage you to do that. Two things will happen, I think, as you begin to read. You get your book and begin to read. One of them is this. As you read, he will encourage you, and it's the right thing to do. Pray, ask the Lord, what are the specific things right now in your life that you would want to make as a specific prayer request that would be shared with the circle of, of friends and brothers and sisters in Christ that, that, um, that you will gather around you? What is your list? What are, what are your items? The second thing that I believe will happen is you will begin to sense as you read that there are some other folks you love, you trust, they love you, they know the Lord, you care about them, that you would like to invite to be a part of your prayer circle. And um, you get them a book, give them a book, encourage them to just start working their way through it. Our plan is that when we hit February, after we've had a chance to prepare, first Sunday in February, we will begin the 40 days of specific prayer. I told you last week, those of you who were here, that we were encouraged as a family, our our daughter, Abby, um, got the books, gave them to all the family. It was kind of a stocking stuffer, sort of a prize that she passed out, but she knew our, what was going on. with. Uh, we have our, our three children, and each of them married. We had one grandson at the time. Work situations, relational situations going on in, in their lives, and, and as well as things that um, are concerns for us with regard to the church, the Alamo City family. She just read this, came across this, that I think it would help for us to do. So we, we as a family, the, the four couples, eight of us, set aside 40 days to do this, and we prayed for each other. We made a composite list of their specific items to pray for as couples and as individuals, and then we just, uh, we just started working our way through that. During the, as I had mentioned to you, I, I, I love to repeat these answers to prayer. We started out this year... This last year with one grandson, we ended up the year and we've got three grandsons now. And those, that, was, that was a part of the praying, not, not, the, not the major theme for in each category. There were work situations, there were job situations, there were relational things that the Lord just one after another as the months progressed, even following that during those 40 days, but then in the months following that, that the Lord has just uh, encouraged us by as, as he worked things out. I, 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 want, I want to say that um, with, with all the exhortation that I can. If there are some places in your life that need a breakthrough, if there are some people that you are burdened for, that you're concerned about, maybe it's a health issue with you, maybe it's a financial matter with you. It, it could be any number of things. But it's important to you. It's rising up. It's, it's something you live with. You go to sleep with it. You wake up. You live with it through the day. Some things may have been in place for years, and there's been no change, but it's a sadness. It's a, it's a place of being stuck, and you, you just believe that there, there's another way to live or a better way to live, either for you or for someone you care about. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about. For those to be, Sometimes we, we pray such general prayers, we wouldn't even know if the Lord answered. Because we weren't specific enough. This is about being very specific. And the idea of draw the circle is we're drawing the circle around specific things in our lives and the lives of those we we care about and needs and situations that that can be identified. And we're going to pray. We're going to ask the Lord to do what only the Lord can do. This book is not, um, you know, it's not on the same level as scripture, obviously, but it will help you. It will encourage you in your faith. There are some amazing historical examples. There are professional examples from the realm of business um, as well as Scripture, but just some real-life stories and how the Lord has answered specific prayers. Um, You know, we, we can spend a lot of time whining and complaining about what's going wrong in Washington and whining and complaining about how things aren't right here or there. But you know what the Scripture says? The Lord said, 2 Chronicles 7:14, if my people who were called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will forgive their sin, hear their prayer, and I'll heal their land. It doesn't do anybody any good to spend all our time complaining about what's wrong in Washington or about what's wrong with some lifestyle, or about what's wrong with some... We can notice those things, but to give our energy to complaining is a waste of breath and time for the Christian. Because the Lord has said, here's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for my people to identify problems out there. I'm looking for my people to humble themselves and get to taking care of their own business which isn't in order, which isn't straight, which isn't, which isn't as it needs to be. If When I start seeing my people humbling themselves instead of blaming and pointing the fingers everywhere else, when I see my people, can I be a little more personal? When the Lord sees you, when the Lord sees me humbling myself and turning from my selfishness and turning from my short temper, and turn in from my sins, then the Lord will forgive my sins and your sins. He will hear from heaven, and then it says he will heal our land. The first step for other places to get straightened out is for you and me to get straightened out. That, Lord, do the work here. Do the work here. And that's what we're, we're looking forward to this time as we begin this year to be all about. Lord, will you draw us closer to yourself, and as we are drawn closer to the light, there's going to be more stuff that will show up in us, but as you show it to us, there's confession and there's repentance, and there's mercy with the Lord, there's forgiveness, amen? Amen. All right, so that, that, that's, that's for free, that's the introduction, and, um, and I hope that you'll take that seriously. Now, next week, I'm going to ask you, how many of you have gotten one of these books? And um, I'm hoping we'll have a bunch that, um, that will have done that and you're beginning to take the step to read and to work your way through it. Now for this morning, under the category of, under the heading of A Call to Prayer, just this, this title for these next few moments, How to Pray for Yourself, How to Pray for Yourself. Jesus gave some amazing, specific, insightful directives on how to pray for ourselves, but it's, it's lost sometimes in the way that we, we read this passage. I want you to find uh, in, in your copy of the scripture, the book of Matthew, and find Matthew chapter 6, and we'll start looking at verse 9, Matthew chapter 6. Verse 9, the disciples, you're familiar with this, the disciples noticed the things that Jesus was able to do. They, they were impressed with how he was able to heal physical sickness, how he was able to rebuke um, demonic forces that were, that were hurting people. And, and he would rebuke, resist those demons, and they would leave the person, and the person would be free, would be made well. But they also understood that there was a reason why he had that kind of power and why they didn't have that kind of power. And they drew the conclusion that the difference between Jesus and them was his life of prayer and the lack of that kind of a life within themselves. So they they asked him, they made a point to ask him, Lord, will you teach us how to pray? Show us how to pray. If the source of your power is coming from your Father and the work of the Spirit inside, we, we need that kind of power. If we're going to represent you and do your work, we need your kind of power, and we're sensing that you get that power because you pray. So he gives then these familiar words to us. that They've been spoken. We've quoted them from children, from, from, from our childhood. They, they have become so familiar that if we're not careful, that they just, they just have no power because it, we're so used to it. I want to ask you this morning to pray with me that the power of the Spirit of the living Jesus will awaken these words, will cause these words to just burn in our hearts as we hear them, that there will be life, and there will be light, and there'll be freedom, and there'll be a sense of incentive to, I, I want that to be true in my life. Here's how he instructed, pray then in this way. Now keep in mind, how do I pray for myself? I'm not, there's not talking primarily about praying for something else or somebody else, How do I pray for myself? Pray then in this way. Our Father, make that personal. Take that from the plural to the singular. My Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts. Forgive me my debts, as I also have forgiven my debtors. And Do not lead me into temptation, but deliver me from evil or from the evil one. For thine is the power, the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Back to that first part. The words that he instructed us with in the beginning. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We don't use that word hallowed very often. The hallowed halls of of an educational institution or some hallowed tradition that is pursued and followed in certain settings. But we just don't use that. What does it mean? The word hallowed, hallowed, comes from a root word that means holy. Holy is your name. Pure is your name. Set apart is your name. Uncommon, unusual, extraordinary is your name. But I want to suggest to you folks that it also means this. If somebody is holy, if in this sense the Father is described as being holy. That means that he's free from impurity. He's free from contamination. He's free from darkness. He's free from that which would cause him to be in any way bound. I love to think of it this way. My Father who is in heaven, free. Is your name. You're not bound by religion. You're not bound by the fear of man. You don't have to wait for an opinion of people for you to do what you do. You are free. I submit to you that Jesus of Nazareth was the freest human being who ever walked the face of the earth. Free in the sense that he says Satan has nothing to in me. Spoke that on his way to the cross. Satan has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gives me commandment, that's what I'm going to do. He he was free in the sense that materialism did not own him. If, if, If he'd come to represent what is the ultimate in the sight of God, What is a person to look like who is the most blessed of God? If if Jesus came to express that and he lived as a pauper, which he did, he didn't didn't even have his own donkey to ride. He, He would say, I don't even have a place to lay my head. He had nothing in some senses of the word, yet he had everything that he would ever need. The power of stuff to own us is debilitating, crippling, and can rob us from the freedom that the Lord wants us to walk in. Freedom from stuff. Freedom from the power of people to own us and to influence us by their opinions of us. Jesus lived and walked as a freeman. Our Father who is in heaven. And Jesus would say, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I only do what the Father has given me instruction to do. I only say what the Father instructed me to say. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I wanted to say to you, your heavenly Father is free. And as His Spirit works His way in you and in us, He's going to be working to set us free. He he is. Paul would say, now the Lord is the Spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. There is freedom. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Free is your name. If I share his name, if he has put my name on me as his adopted child, that we'll look at it in a moment, then here's one of the things you and I have to look forward to. He will increasingly by degree, by degrees, take us further and further into freedom. Into freedom. Now back to that, the first part, our, our Father. In, in this matter of, of learning how to pray for myself, it's striking that Jesus begins it this way: Our Father, or my Father, you're to pray this way. My Father who is in heaven. It's the idea that he's. But we've got to understand that no matter how old we are, we need a father. It doesn't matter whether we're grown or whether we're retired or, or, or whether we're coming up and have a family of our own. Every man needs a father. Every woman needs a father. It's striking that Jesus would say to his disciples, as the children, the little children, would be drawing close to him, trying to get next to him in the in the middle of the crowd of everything else that was going on. Here came these kids. You ever seen you ever seen a kid, a child, who wants to get close to somebody or something? It, it, if, if you if you don't stop them, if you don't hinder them, they're going to get there. That they're going to be there. I, I I love the thought of Jesus being seated or standing, probably seated as he would teach. And here would come these little toddlers. Here would come these four- and five- and six-year-olds. They would want to get close, but you know how it is. Some of them had to have crawled up in his lap, got to pulling on his beard, maybe rubbing his eyebrows, maybe looking, putting his hair, putting their hand on his... They, they were just children. And the disciples were frustrated. This is, this, this is the Son of God. This you, you These children are just getting in the way here. And so they started to move the children away. And Jesus, instead of rebuking the children, instead of fussing at the children, he fussed at the disciples in this sense. Don't you hinder the children from coming to me. And let look at this. Because everyone who comes to me And everyone who understands what the kingdom is about will come to me as a child. There's supposed to be something in you as it relates to your heavenly father that doesn't ever grow up. We're not supposed to get so mature and so spiritual and so knowledgeable that that little child part of us (laughs) that can get excited about the power of God that can have tears. It'll begin to course down our cheeks when we hear some story about the mercy of God rescuing somebody who didn't have any hope. That well, we have to stuff that back and keep that away because I'm supposed to be some kind of dignified adult. Now, the Lord Jesus is saying, "You always remember that you're a child in your Father's sight. You always remember." that your father loves you as a child, and he loves the childlike parts of you that would trust him, that would want to be close to him, that would be able to to love him back when he shows kindness to you and goodness to you, that there's there's an immediate response back to him, Lord, thank you, instead of it becoming some cranial, calculated, religious, theoretical whatever. It's the response of a child to a father when the father is loved. Our father who art in heaven. It's it's, it's striking that on two occasions, one in Romans 8 and one in Galatians chapter 4, we've mentioned this before, Paul says that one of the functions of the Spirit of Jesus filling us, our being led by the Spirit, filled filled with the Spirit, is that there is going to be operating inside us In Romans 8, he speaks of the spirit of adoption. is not the spirit of slavery that leads to fear again. But he says, you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby you cry out, Abba, Father. In Galatians 4, speaking of the coming of Jesus at the right time, he was born of a woman, Mary being, being the earthly mother of Jesus and under the law so that he might redeem those who were under the law. And then it says that he... He has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. My brothers and my sisters, vital, vital to your prayer life is the connection, the union of your spirit with the Lord's spirit at the point of you being able to appreciate him as your Abba, Father. the Abba is that word for, for daddy, that word for papa that word for Father. And I would say that that has to be something that the Lord makes real within our hearts, that he reveals to us. So as we start this matter of praying for ourselves, we have to begin at this place of Lord. I need to better know you as my Father, not just as the judge, not just as the disciplinarian or the one who gives instruction. But, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know what that means, to know you with tenderness and to know you with affection and to believe as a little child coming toward the Father that I'm not in trouble by wanting to be close to you. I'm not in trouble by bringing to you the things that bother me. When a little child gets hurt, you're going to hear from them. When a little child is hungry, you're going to hear from them. When a little child is scared, you're going to hear from them. Jesus said nobody gets the kingdom, nobody fully understands what the kingdom of God is like unless they are like a child in many ways. A child can complain. A child can can get mad. A child can throw a fit. The Lord understands that human side of us, that there can be seasons when stuff goes on and things happen and we don't understand it and it scares us or it worries us, that there can be some of our humanity that just erupts. But instead of him slapping us down or sending us to time out for the rest of our lives, there is a sense of that he, he is patient and he is gracious and he is kind and he will endure that because he sees more to who we are than what that immediate response to a situation would represent. My Father, my Father who is in heaven, for Jesus To hear from heaven on the day that he was baptized, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever heard that kind of tenderness, that kind of sense of pride and joy in you from the Father's heart? You say, Well, I haven't lived a perfect life like Jesus lived. Absolutely, no one has. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the reason David came back to the Lord after he had done what he did with Bathsheba and had her husband killed, and all of the all of the trash he season in David's life, the reason he came back to the Lord was not because he saw the Lord as angry at him, as, as so offended that he didn't want to ever do anything. It didn't want to have anything to do with David again. He returned to the Lord because he believed that the Lord at the heart of the Lord, at the heart of the Father, was a heart that was full of grace, a heart that was full of mercy, a heart that desired forgiveness rather than punishment. And so David returned. Psalm 51 speaks of that. Against thee and thee only have I sinned, but create in me a clean heart, O God. Restore to me the joy of of." your salvation, and then sinners will be converted you. I'm going to tell them what you can do in a life. But we have to know, we have to hear of his love for us. If we're going to spend any time coming to him to take our needs, to take our fears, to just bring who we really are to him, there's going to have to be some kind of a breaking down of whatever image we might have had. From an earthly father who was stern, who maybe we never knew we measured up and were approved by. The the earthly father gave us biological life, but your heavenly father gives you spirit life and real life and depth of life. Lord, so Jesus begins, says, Here's where you start. You start at the place of calling God your father. Because you have a right to call him your father and he sees you as his child. So how does that all happen? How, does, how do we get there? We referenced before the John chapter 1 verse 12 where John would say, But to as many as received Jesus, to these he gave the right to be called the child of God. The child of God is derived from that person, that human, receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, but to as many as receive Jesus. To these, he, the Father, gives the right to be called the child of God. We we have to take it back to that point. It may be that if it's it's still blurred, if it's still this, if it's hazy on this thing of really knowing that God loves me, it could really start at that place of, have you ever at a point in time, received Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. That's the word, to receive Jesus, but to as many as received Him, not just know about Him, not just to embrace the historical fact of His life, but that somehow, some way, He really died on that cross 2,000 years ago with you in mind, that it was the love of God that drew Jesus out of heaven, upon to this earth, he saw you coming and me coming, and he knew that we would need forgiveness we would, in order in order for us to have the relationship with the Heavenly Father. And Jesus did what was necessary to pave the way, to make it possible for us to be called the child of God. To these he gave the right to be called the child of God. To pray for yourself, how to pray for yourself starts at that place of recognizing your need for the Father. Folks, listen. It's not about a church. It's not a denomination. It's not about statues. It's not about Mary holding baby Jesus in in her lap. It is about a relationship, a relationship, a relationship with the one true and living God. That it is... It is in the relationship with him by way of our relationship with Jesus Christ, by receiving Jesus, that all of this begins to make sense. And the freedom that we've longed for begins to be ours. You need for the Father. Lord, open my eyes, deepen my heart, in my heart, the understanding of you as my Father. Because I have put my trust in, in your son Jesus as my Savior, your need for the Father, and your place as His child, your place as His child. I want to, I, I want to ask you to, to turn over to this passage, or you can just let me read it if you want to. But I, you know, I don't know if you know it's in your Bible, this is in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, chapter one. And Paul is writing. And and he says this just as he, the Lord, chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters, children, through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. Skip over to chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Before Christ in a life, the sense of a type of death, spiritual death, meaning that someone, until Christ comes to live within the heart of the person, there, there isn't the ability to believe God deeply and fully and lastingly, or to love God in the truest sense of the word. Why? Because those are indications of spiritual life. Paul says, Without Christ in the life, there is spiritual death. That, that's why. And then he goes on. We'll read then, which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, just being swept along by the designs of Satan, the devil, in life and the culture around us. You, you formally walked. We all formerly walked that way. I mean, verse three, among them we unto we all lived in the lusts of our flesh indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. look at this. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. When did God start loving you? When did the Lord start loving you? I mean really loving you. Did he start loving you when you you quit drinking uh, to to excess? Did he he start loving you when you quit certain things and you started doing other things? Did he start loving you when you decided to come to church? The truth of the scripture is, when you and I were at our worst, and at our worst for the longest time, At our worst, with no intention of changing for the better. In the depth of the darkness of our depravity, he loved us. He he, he started loving us, as Paul would say, we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the earth. That means, literally, South Texas talking, before there was dirt for the Frost Bank building to be built. Before there was a rock for the Alamo to be set upon, before the San Antonio River ever bubbled over a rock, the love of God for you was hot and strong and could not be diminished. Before the foundation of the world, he loved you. And not just loved you, but he chose you. He chose you. Folks, listen, you didn't find the Lord, the Lord found you. You you didn't choose God, the Lord chose you. And he has come to give us understanding of all of that and his heart for us as time has gone on and we come to realize that I don't have to introduce myself to my Father. He knew me before I ever knew him. He goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. In other words, I wouldn't even have the ability to believe That Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. That he literally and actually saw me coming, saw you coming, knew the sins that I would commit that would need to be forgiven. And he died in my place on the cross. I would not be able to understand that unless the grace of God began to work in my heart and show me that that's the truth. Why? Because I was spiritually dead. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody and explain to them the love of God and and that there's a better way to live and there's mercy with the Lord and he has the power to change and they look at you like one of these steel eye beams looking back. They don't blink. They don't breathe. they, they They don't move. They don't even grunt. Why? It's because they're spiritually dead just like you and I have known But you plant the seed of the truth of the gospel, of the love of Christ. And Paul will say the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You plant the seed. You speak the seed of the truth of Jesus Christ's love for a person. is the reason that he died, the reason that he was raised. And as they hear it, they're going to respond like a dead person. But the gospel has the power to raise the dead. The gospel has the power with the grace of God to begin to work in that heart and you go back and can check with them a month later, two months later, maybe two years later and they look at you like a calf looking at that new gate and they begin to to kind of lean in and say, you know, hmm, that's beginning to make a little more sense to me. Some of you know what it is to be out there in the far country, far, far away from the things of the Lord, only to find (laughs) as somebody in some joint somewhere starts singing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And something rises up in your heart of tenderness and softness and of a longing that reaches maybe way back into the early years of your life where you first heard but the grace of God, the work of the Lord's Spirit, beginning to draw you, pull you, bring you back into a relationship with him as your father and you're his child. But to as many as received him, to these he gave the right to be called the children of God. You, you, your place as a child in the father's heart. Our father, that means I need the father. He is my father through relationship with Jesus but I got a place in his heart. I'm not a stranger to him. He chose me because he wanted me, and he didn't choose me and want me after I'd gotten my stuff together, after I'd cleaned everything up, after I'd become this this sweet little Sunday school person. He loved me at my worst, but he won me. He drew me. He loved me. He had patience with me. He began to open my eyes, and now I can see it, that it is Jesus. He is real. His death on the cross is freedom for me. He's alive because he's alive in me and he's changing me day by day. Amen. Amen. You pray for yourself. We pray for ourselves. Lord, will will you cause me, take me into that place of knowing the need of the Father and the reality of who you are, but then, Lord, remind me of my place as your child. You know, I, 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 before we had children, Shirley and I, before we had children, um, I had bird dogs, bird dogs, long-tail English pointers. And the only illustrations that I could give at that point in our early marriage and our early ministry pastoring days were bird dog illustrations because I didn't have any kids. Well, now we've had kids, and now we've got grandkids, and I can give grandkid illustrations. You know? and I love doing that. I love love talking about it. You know that they, they don't have everything down. You know that they don't have all their manners right. You know that they hadn't learned how to not talk over the top of other people in the conversation. You know that the libel, when you tell them don't do it, that's the very thing they're going to put the test to. Stay out of the cookies, that's your last popsicle or whatever it is. And I mean, you hear that deep freeze opening up or you hear the cloud at the top of that cookie jar, they're going to try. It. But instead of as, as a father, as a grandfather, grandmother, so forth, in, instead of just saying, well, that sorry little un- ungrateful, disobedient, why, why, why do we, let's just change the will. Let's just get them out of the family. No, there's an understanding. He doesn't have it all right. He's got appetites, and the appetites are driving some things. And he doesn't know how to take those in the right direction. He doesn't know how to to restrain things. There's mercy, isn't there? It's easy to forgive someone you love. Do you hear me saying that? It's easy to forgive someone you love. But because you love that one and you don't want them to keep messing up and you don't want them to get into further difficulty, the older they get by disobedience, you have to increasingly reply the restraints so that they don't hurt themselves, so they're steered away from harm. Listen, folks, he's your father. He knows you can be a knuckleheaded kid at times. He knows that there can be things going on inside of us that, that can pull us in all sorts of directions. But instead of us thinking that he's so mad I can't get back to him, I come to him with my bruises. I come to him with the mistakes. I come to him with the flat-out stuff I've done wrong. Father, will you forgive me and help me? Help me. Not only did you not like what I just did, I don't even like what I just did. Will you have mercy on me? Your place in his heart as a child. Through the relationship with Jesus. He is your father. You are his picked out chosen son or daughter. He has loved you and known you from eternity past, and he will love you and know you for eternity future. I tell you this about your father. You may be down on the lower end of the food chain where you work. You know 40 different levels from the the head man. And it may be that no one seems to really know or appreciate you. Because you don't, you're just not known. And you do your work and you do your job. But here's the truth: do you know who your father really is? Do you know how much your father is worth? Do you know how much authority and power your heavenly father really has? Do you realize you've got a place at the table in the father's house? Do you realize that Jesus left here saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you and so that where I am there, you may be also. You may be so far down the food chain in this life that no one would even know your name necessarily, but that is not who you are. I'm going to tell you, there was a healthy kind of self-respect. There was an unhealthy kind of self-respect. But the enemy knows if he can beat us down and cause us to feel like trash and nothing and, and, and just a stepchild, ne- never, never really deserving any favor or any kindness, then he can keep us in a place of staying back from the Father. But when you realize that that's a lie, That's not the truth about you. Again, you were picked out. You were chosen. The shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the most precious entity in the universe, was poured out upon you and upon your sins, upon your life, upon our hearts, so that we could be set free and so that we could be brought into as an adopted child into the Father's house. And Paul will say, you're not just, you are not just a son or a daughter, you are an heir. You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Now, for us, that might mean something if your last name was Frost or if your last name was some, some billionaire's last name. And we think, well, I don't have that name, so I must not be anything. Don't don't, don't, don't don't do that to yourself. You have a seat at the Father's table. You are a child known by, loved by your Father. It's amazing how if we can just allow that at the place of prayer, those truths to work in our hearts, that it can just take care of so many of the anxious places that can rise up and trouble us and cause us to be afraid or worried. Wait a minute. My Father, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, my Father. Knows the trouble I'm in, knows what's being said about me, knows where I am, and my father will take care of me. My father will fight for me. My father will provide for me. My fa- look, if, if all you have is some religious kind of relationship with God, and but but there, but there's no there's no sense of the heart being engaged. That you 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 don't feel within you His love for you then it can be easy to be set aside. But that's why we've said those two most powerful prayers that can change everything. That's where it kicks in. The first one is Jesus, save me. Jesus, rescue me. Jesus, deliver me. The second one is Jesus, fill me. Fill me with your spirit. Jesus went to the cross, hostile enemies surrounding him and putting him to death. But he went to the cross knowing that he was doing Exactly what his father wanted him to do, feeling drenched, bathed in the love of God. For Paul to say, he has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's what he's talking about. It is a function of the spirit of Christ alive in you that will allow you, cause you and me to feel the love of the father and to feel the love of a son or child back toward the father. I, you know, I, I, I flail, I shout, I stomp, I get my handkerchief out sometimes, over the same thing. It doesn't change much. But I'm just saying to you, everything shifts, everything adjusts when we begin to realize that Jesus was serious when he said, the helper is coming, the helper, the spirit, my spirit, and my spirit is filling you will enable you to know something and feel some things, and do some things by my power alive and working in you that you could never do apart from my spirit filling you and moving you. And that was at the heart of everything that the church was in that first century and has continued to be throughout the years, particularly in seasons of persecution and difficulty, that the only way they could keep going was by the power of the Spirit filling and energizing, Olivia. It is the work of his spirit to draw us into that kind of relationship with the Father, the sense that, that his heart is for me, not against me. That his desire is to bless, not to deprive. His longing is for me to grow up into that masterpiece that he is creating me to be. We are chosen, but Ephesians 2:10 will say we are his masterpiece the work of God's grace. So when we come to the place of prayer, instead of having to feel like we've got to beg God to be nice or try to talk Him into doing something He's reluctant to do, we understand He's my Father because He wants to be my Father. I'm His child because He chose me to be His child. And He has given me the right as a child to make my request on Him. I, I would... I would you and we'll finish with, with with this with this part of it not only you need your need of the father and your 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 place as the child but your right to ask but to as many as receive jesus to these he gave the right to be called the child of God that word for right means permission It carries with it the idea of authority. It carries with it the idea of an assigned purpose and function, and along with the the, the title or the placement, there is the ensuing or the, the accompanying authority. That's saying, as a child of the Lord, you have the right. To come into his presence, you have the right to be heard by him. You have the right to pour out your heart unto him. You have the right to receive instructions from him, to re- receive correction from him. But you have the right to ask. You have the right to ask. Here's our here's our dilemma we can get so involved in the natural circumstances of our lives that we completely ignore or we are aloof to the spiritual dimension of things. What if it is true that it is the spiritual that is in charge of the natural, not the natural in charge of the spiritual? What if it really is true When Jesus will say, here's how you were to pray, that the will of God, the will of the Father in heaven would be done on this earth. What if that is saying the Spirit controls the material, the physical? What if he's saying your assignment is to call forth the will of the Father on this earth? You stand on this earth, you stand in the place on this earth that is assigned to you with your family, with your coworkers, with your history and background, your little spot on the earth. You stand right there in your place on the earth, and you call forth the will of the Father on the earth. You say, well, I don't know that we can ever know the will of God. Try again. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You stand on this earth knowing ones who have never come to repentance, knowing ones whose lives are being trashed and are trashing other lives, difficulties in various things. You stand right there because that's where God has placed you and planted you. It's your spot on the earth. And to turn your heart of a child, knowing you have a right to ask, knowing that the heavens are open to you and the Father's unsearchable resources are available to you. And you cry out unto Him, Lord, bring your will to this earth. What is your heart for this one I care about? What is your heart for my company? What is your heart for my medical condition? What is your heart for my marriage, for my kids, for whatever it would be? Lord, and these are the words and we'll touch on this more next week. These are the words of Jesus. Here's how you pray for yourself. Cause it to be done, Lord, on this earth, as it is your heart to be done in heaven. There is a verse or a passage really in the book of Ezekiel. Just reference it, Ezekiel 22, about verse 30. The Ezekiel prophet finds himself in a very difficult season in the life of the nation of Israel. There is debauchery everywhere he looks. The, the, The priests, the prophets were saying there's not going to be any destruction of the city, of the nation God is for us, when it was just the opposite that was the truth, that the people had lived so long away from the Lord that the the weight of their own actions was going to come back upon them, and it would be the destruction of Jerusalem, ultimately. But here's what the Lord says through Ezekiel, I looked for a man just one man who would build up the wall and stand in the gap for the nation and I would have withheld the consequences of the actions of the people at least for city but it he says but I found no one uh, you know this is Alamo City that this this is this is not, a lot of churches, a lot of places. We're we're real honest about the stuff that goes on and we have to deal with in family lines and lives. And it's not a strange thing for us to be able to say that there are some family lines that have just been wrecked because of sexual abuse, continued from generation to generation. Wrecked because of drugs, wrecked because of alcohol, wrecked because of dishonesty, wrecked because of promiscuity and and the junk that goes with that. And we often will say to, to our folks, it doesn't take anybody but just one person in a family line to say enough is enough. I will stand in the gap for my family. That that the destruction, the ruin, the flow, the decay continues. But the Lord is saying, I'm just looking for one somebody who will step into the gap and stand for me and cry out to me and ask me to heal the land. And he says, if I just found one, I would have done it. There there are some of you in this circle and some of you watching online, you, you are that one. And let this be an encouragement to you. You may feel like you're all by yourself, but you're not all by yourself. Physically and in a human sense, they may nobody else in your family line that would agree, that would want. They think you're a stick in the mud. They think you're a problem. They think why why do you have to feel like you're getting in our business? Why, Why can't you just be like one of us? But your calling is higher. You understand? You've got an earthly daddy, but you have a heavenly father. And your heavenly father is calling you higher. And he's saying, I have you in that spot for my purpose. And if you will just stand there and you will call out, Lord, what is your will in heaven? Cause it to be done in my family right here in this place. The Lord saying, I'll do it. I'll do it. It's not a matter of if. It's just a matter of when. You hold steady. You don't diminish. You don't back up. You don't give up. You stand and you pray as you're praying for yourself. Lord, give me the clearer and clearer understanding of who my real father is. Remind me, Lord, of my place in your heart. Lord, convince me, show me all over again that I have a right to ask because you are my father and I'm your chosen son. And Lord, I'm doing just what you told me to do. I'm standing here. And I'm saying, I am calling forth the will of God on the earth. I'm calling forth the will of God on the earth. And i say that one more time. I am calling forth the will of God on the earth. Agreement on this earth with his heart in heaven. There's something powerful in the spirit realm about agreement. The Lord was saying about that one man in the gap, I just needed one person who would agree with me, legally binding in the spiritual sense agreement. Lord, this is your land. This is your city. This is your earth. That by the right of divine creation, cause your will to be done on this earth as it is in heaven. We'll come back to this more, Lord willing, in the Sundays to come. May I remind you again, please, Find your copy of Draw the Circle. You can get it. You can get it. Let me see if I can. See. Amazon Prime, Christianbook.com, eBay. Find your copy. Begin to read. Follow the prompting of the Spirit as you get the list, the listing of the things, the listing of your specific needs and points of interest, and then be sensitive to who you may need to give a book to that will be a part of your prayer circle. If any two of you, Jesus said, if any two of you agree on earth as touching anything that's consistent with the will of the Father's heart, certainly, then I'll do it. There's power in agreement. But we can't agree if we don't know what each other's needs are. And the plan is, first Sunday in February, for the next 40 days, We will be doing as much of this as we can, understanding that the church as a whole, the congregation as a whole, extended our streaming family, you're a part of this too, as well as the ones physically here. (laughs) I'm just telling you, there are some breakthroughs that you cannot believe that over the next nine months, a year, even within the 40 days that could happen. Because here's, here's the deal. The Lord in many ways doesn't want to just answer your prayer. He wants to answer the prayers of lots of people so that when you make what is the burden to your heart known to the rest of the group, he's not just answering your prayer when he answers your prayer. He's answering everybody else in the circle's prayer too because they're in on it. And he loves to see faith grow. Amen? Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to begin 2020. And to begin it with you, I ask you, Lord, by your Spirit that you will encourage our hearts and we will sense you calling us to the place of prayer. And Lord, where we need to have a fresh revival in our hearts of your love for us and who we are to you and the right that we have before you to make our requests. We ask you to do that by your spirit. Send a great revival to our hearts right where you know we need it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.